0: Murder and Moonshine, a true crime podcast with a southern twist. Hey guys, welcome back to Murder and Moonshine. This is Christy and this is Misty. And today I've got a story for you. I'm sure you do. You always have the worst of the worst. (laughs) Yeah, this one's pretty bad. I'm sure. Of course. It's It's a misty story, so it's bad. I know. (laughs) I know that going in. But you know what? We always have moonshine to soften the blood. We do. We do. And that always helps. And today I brought in a little outsider's moonshine. It's made by Old Smokey. Let me stop you right there. (laughs) And go ahead and make (laughs) a A a much needed public service announcement correction on my part. So when I said last week that Midnight Moon was made by Old Smokey, that was in fact totally incorrect. <laughs> it's because I'd had so many shots and put the wrong lid on the jar. <laughs> <laughs> but it was made it was Midnight Moon Blackberry. <laughs> it was definitely Midnight Moon Blackberry. It just wasn't made by Old Smokey. It was not Made by Old Smokey. Well, bitch, this one is made this one by is. Old Smokey for sure. Outsiders, is that the TV show? Yes. Okay. Apparently, this okay. was a moonshine they made for that. Oh. Okay. And it's got hints of ginger and ginseng. I like ginseng. So, I don't know. I don't know what to expect with this one. Well, is 70 we're, proof? We're going to find out. Let's find out now. Oh, okay. All, All right. right now. All right. Well, so she's let's go gotta- and give us a cheers. Cheers, bitches. God, that was you know it's, it, it's it got a burn afterwards it but burns. it burns it does have like Almost a hint like a of cinnamon, cinnamon. like yeah. a burn you know and maybe ginger or ginseng burns um i don't know it's got a cinnamony aftertaste isn't one of them isn't ginseng an aphrodisiac i don't know girl we're gonna find <laughs> we're gonna find <laughs> out after this <laughs> bottle so another thing I would like to address is, um, we said in last week's episode that we were videoing our podcast, and and we were, which we were videoing, we were. Well, we thought we were. <laughs> <laughs> we are not tech geniuses, as by we have any, told you before, any means. So, so in other words, shit didn't work it like we thought it would, and we don't have a video yet, <laughs> but it's coming. I know it is coming we're working on our it. our pod bar is still under construction there were some soundproofing and some other things that so needed to there was be some done ma- that we didn't realize needed to be done major echo issues so we're working on it people we're learning as we go so the filming may not start until we can get fully moved into the pod bar but we'll keep you posted on that but i just think it's so fucking cool that y'all want to see us <laughs> while we're doing this. it, it amazes watch me. us talk right Well, we want to appreciate you. And and on that note, we actually want to give a couple shout outs. So I'd like to first of all say, Taylor, thank you for sending me this case. It's awesome. She is one of our OG listeners. So she started like from the first episode and just want to say we appreciate you, girl. Fuck yeah. Thank you, Taylor. And then I had one of our listeners um, send me a message and say that she liked to clean her house and play us through the TV and drink along with us. Fuck yeah, that's what we want all of y'all to do. Drink with us. It makes the stories better. Tiffany, I want you to know bitch I see you. (laughs) Hey, yes (laughs) Tiffany, yes. And this cheers is going to be one for you guys. Absolutely. And one last shout out before we do this cheers is Drew, thank you so much for just Taking all my medical questions that I have, I know that sometimes when you see my name pop up on your phone, you're probably like, what the fuck is she going (laughs) to ask me now? (laughs) There's no telling. There's never. Drew is a PA and I I just want to say if I have any questions about any medical stuff, he's always been great to answer it for me. And so we appreciate you guys. Thank you, Drew. You're now officially our own PA at our disposal. <laughs> so we will be contacting you, but he's running scared right now. <laughs> <laughs> so here's to all of our listeners, all especially of our the listeners, ones you just named. Yeah, Taylor, Tiffany, Drew, Drew. Thank you guys. We appreciate you all of you guys listening, and this shot is for you guys. So cheers bitches. Whoa, It is <coughs> mm-hmm, I don't, I'm still on the fence. I'm not sure how I feel about it. It's, it burns, but it not in a bad way. I don't know. Not, that, not in I, a bad way. I've never necessarily been burned in a good way, so I don't know. <laughs> Girl, you got to feel the burn. If you like that spicy feeling like I did, you would enjoy I know, bitch. You love some spicy <laughs> shit. So I know this story's probably going to be twisted. I'm going to be disgusted yeah i'm about to throw out some trigger warnings here. exactly but i can't wait to hear it i'm excited <laughs> well um we we have basically a family annihilation almost two members of the family survived but are, are we in the where, where in the world are we at we are in our beautiful home state oh. of north carolina oh fuck that's right that's we going right to bring I it forgot. home bitch on may 12th 1985 Bob Seafeld noticed that his neighbors, the Eastburns, newspapers had started piling up. This was odd now that he had thought about it because not a day goes by without him seeing the Eastburn children playing outside. Katie Eastburn, the mother, would always sit out back on the step and watch them play. He noticed that the Toyota station wagon was still sitting in the driveway just like it had been for the last three days. And just the night before, The Cumberland County Sheriff's Department came knocking on the Seedfelds' door because they had been called by Gary Eastburn to do a welfare check on his wife. The officers wanted to know if Bob and his wife, Jeanette, had seen anything because Gary Eastburn had been calling and his wife was not answering. The Seedfelds hadn't seen anything unusual, so the sheriff's deputies just left a note on the Eastburns' door for Katie to call her husband. The Eastburns were a military family stationed in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Now, side note, Fort Bragg will be changing its name starting in June to Fort Liberty. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to say that. It, it is. Well, Fort Bragg was built in 1918. So literally our entire lives, it's been it's Fort been, Bragg. Uh, right. Yeah. Right and it is one of the biggest military bases in the world with around 57,000 military personnel. It's located in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and the base covers roughly 251 square miles. Wow. I didn't even know that. I did not. I've been, at, you know, to Fort Bragg, right. but I didn't realize it was one of the largest. I but didn't either until I didn't either, yeah. but I mean, you think about it: fifty-seven thousand military personnel. That's, that's not including the civilians that work on base as well, and every one of and their families, families, right? Their spouses and families and yeah. kids and all that, yeah. So it's really its own city. It is. It is, and they also call it Vietnam. Yes. Around these parts. I have definitely heard Vietnam (laughs) growing up. If you live in North Carolina, you've definitely heard of Vietnam. Vietnam. Um, So, just a little bit about the Eastburns and what was going on at that time. It's 1985. It's 1985. And Gary Eastburn is a captain in the U.S. Air Force. And his wife, Catherine Eastburn, they call her Katie, and their three children, Kara, age five, Aaron, age three, and Jana who was 22 months old at the time. So less than two years old. Right. Well, Gary Eastburn was going to be taking a liaison job in England working with the Royal Air Force. Oh, wow. So he was in Alabama for training, and Katie was getting everything in the house ready for the move overseas. Uh-huh. Uh, the Eastburns had an English setter named Dixie. And Katie had put an ad in the newspaper to see if anyone would take Dixie. She was an elderly dog, and they didn't think that she would do very well um, with the travel and quarantine period to be let into the UK. So they wanted to find her a good home. Right. And that's really common around military bases. Right. Because the animals, unfortunately, aren't <clears throat> able to go everywhere that the owners exactly. are going. Yeah. So this is pretty common for Any kind of military family. But Bob and Jeanette, the next door neighbors, the Seafelds, now notice something really is off. The deputies that came by the night before, they're seeing all these newspapers. They realize, you know what? I haven't seen them outside. Mm -hmm. So they decided they needed to go check on them. Bob rings the doorbell and they hear a baby crying. And no one answers. He rings the doorbell again, still no one answers, but they still hear the baby crying, and it was kind of a weak cry. Oh. They described it as a weak. Yeah. Well, Bob tells his wife Jeanette, call somebody. So, she found a listing in the phone book for Julie, and I'm only going to say this last name one time. Okay? Serni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you <better> do that. <laughs> yeah, from now on it's going to be Julie the babysitter. Okay. Um, she was the East Burns babysitter, and why? she lived a few houses away. Why? Okay, when he said call somebody, why did she call the babysitter and not the police? I don't think they they knew something was wrong, but they're like they didn't. Yeah, think you the don't ever need think, think to be alerted. They do alert the police, but I mean at that point, but they, they wanted to get know. a hold of Julie because they were like, okay, is something going on? Have they ran somewhere? You know, what does Julie know? Okay, okay. So, Julie said that she had not been at the Eastburns since Tuesday the 7th. So, with that information, Jeanette Seedfeld said, we got to call the police because I know that Katie would never leave her daughter home alone. Deputy William Toman was the closest patrol officer to the scene and he was the first to arrive. Julie, the babysitter, had gotten there before Officer Toman and was telling him that Jana is standing in her crib crying. So she tries to run around back to get into the house. Mm-hmm. And Toman tells her to stop, you know, wait, let me do this, let mm-hmm. me handle this. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and he looked in and he could see little Jana with her arms outstretched in her crib crying. Mm hmm so toman sliced through the screen in the window and opened it and immediately was hit with the smell of death Mm. and that that smell Mm. is unlike any other smell there's no mistaking that i have never smelled like a rotting dead body i've smelled like rotting deer on the side of the road or a dead animal but I, I can't even imagine. I hope I never had to know of what death, that smells like. There's no other smell like it. That is, I promise. That's what I've heard. I promise. But I have never smelled that. So I have worked at a nursing home, though. <laughs> there's a lot of smells a that lot come of out of things. that as well. Yes, yes, there are. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> But he was hit with the smell of death. And poor little Jana wanted out of that room... And who can blame her? Absolutely. Her white pajamas were dirty and she smelled from having been in her own excrement for days. Right. Because who's there to change her diaper or help her? Right. Yeah. Yeah. She was pale and gaunt. And as soon as Toman picked her up, she just wrapped her arms around his neck tightly and he just patted her back, saying, It's going to be all right. And he Mm. passed her out the window to Bob. And grabbed some pampers and a bottle that was there beside the crib um, and passed those out the window. And Bob gave Jana to the babysitter. Mm -hmm. And so he noticed, Toman noticed that there were a lot of stuffed animals that were thrown around the outside of the crib. And he said it looked like someone had put a whole bunch of stuffed animals in the crib with her and that she just, yeah, I guess one by one threw them out. Yeah. Yeah. He continued farther into the house, and the smell just kept getting stronger and stronger. Tolman was later quoted as saying, It didn't matter how many bodies I found. I was more worried about what I'd find alive. So, as Tolman made his way into the master bedroom, he seen three-year-old Erin Eastburn laying beside her parents' bed in her nightgown with little lavender stripes, her knees were bent up in a sex-like position. A pillow was leaned up against her face, and the nightstand behind her was turned over. When he lifted up the pillow, Erin's head was almost severed from her <gasps> body. I know. Is she? You said she's how old? Erin was three. Three years yes. old? Yes. Yes. This is a fucking monster. It, obviously. Tolman then walked around the side of the bed and saw a hand reaching out from behind the bed. Well, it looked like it was. hmm And so he kind of looks over the top of the bed because the hand is kind of reaching out from the corner. hmm And he saw Katie Eastburn nude and stabbed to death. Mm. There was also a pillow over her face, and when he lifted it, her throat had been cut just like her daughter's. Mm-hmm. It seemed that the stab wounds in her chest were kind of like an afterthought. Like someone was enraged and just like slitting her throat wasn't enough. So we had to go and stab her after. She was raped, stabbed, her throat was slit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Toman at that point backs out of the master bedroom and back into Jana's room and he calls for more backup. Yes. When paramedics arrived to declare the victims dead, the senior paramedic came in and declared Aaron and Katie dead. The scene was so gruesome that he walked outside of the house. He dropped to his knees and was gagging. I can only imagine. And if you have a he, baby yeah. and a woman, and this is a paramedic, they see some gnarly right. shit. They're used to seeing, but bodies. You, nobody's ever used to seeing a child. No, like no. Hell no, no, so. No. Um, but while he was still on his knees, he asked, is everybody accounted for? And Bob Seafeld said that yeah. there were three children yeah, and the mother. missing. Yeah. So Tolman said he had only seen two victims. So he goes back inside across the hall from Jana's room. There was a bedroom with two beds in it. One was Aaron's bed and it had a big bird tucked into it. I know. I know. Uh, oh my god! And on the far wall was another bed, and under a Star Wars comforter was five-year-old Kara. Uh, Kara stared blankly up at the ceiling, and her throat had also been cut. Oh, uh, so I can't even imagine pulling back a cover and seeing, seeing someone just blankly a right, oh, alone a child a child. Oh. These poor babies, like I know. horrific fucking it horrific. is horrific. i can't i can't imagine i can't imagine being the person that has to go in that scene and no. not one you not, can't not two, ever but three. that no you can't no. ever that'll stay that. with you forever but this is where it's going to perk your interest okay the police were thinking oh my god not again because as you know just 4.5 miles away and fifteen years earlier, Jeffrey McDonald had killed his entire family. Oh, Jeffrey! That is the military doctor that killed his family. I know he's on your murder list. He so. is on my murder list. We will find out. I find out all about Jeffrey McDonald. Well, crime scene techs got on their hands and knees and went through the Eastburn home to see what they could get on, you know, this monster. Right. So, whatever kind of evidence they can get, they were crawling on their hands and knees. What monster are they looking for at this point? They I don't mean, know. They have no idea. They do not know. Okay, okay. So, as they went through the house, they noticed a laundry basket full of folded clothes and overturn, that had been overturned and newspapers that were thrown around. Katie's still-tied sneakers were in the middle of the floor and a pink blouse had been torn off and thrown on the floor. 200. There had definitely been a struggle in the house. Okay, yeah. They took photos of the crime scene and the girls' bodies from multiple angles. Then came the gruesome task of removing the bodies. With five-year-old Kara, when they went to move her, they found a quilt batting, and I had to look up what quilt batting was. But it's basically like a like the filler the insulation, yeah, the insulation. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was laid on her chest. For some reason like he went through the house and find quilt batting to put on her chest. I don't it's, crazy. it's almost it's like that foamy foamy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And when they tried to remove it, it was just breaking apart in their hands. Because it had been stuck to her body and right. You know, she's decomposing. So, okay. um, so this is when they realized when they tried to move her that she had been stabbed multiple times in the chest so much that her organs were actually showing through oh some of the wounds. God. That poor baby. They said Aaron was the worst one to move because her head almost rolled off. Mm. This is when they realized the killer had actually cut around her entire neck. So he didn't just slit her throat. He went all the, the way, way around this baby's neck. A five-year-old baby's neck? Yeah, I mean... Aaron was actually um, the three year old. Oh, 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 shit, fuck. Tara was, was the, the five year old. Yeah. So you're so a three year old's neck. three year old's yes, neck? Yes. Oh, my God. Like, just, I can't even fat. It's crazy. It, that is crazy. Crazy. But surprisingly, for three murder victims to have had their throats horribly slashed, there was very little blood. So this killer spent time cleaning up. They found prints on the door frame that was almost seven feet off the ground. When they sprayed luminol, the house just fucking lit up. The perpetrator. So, the, so there actually was a lot of blood, but somebody but somebody just cleaned had it. Spent, yes. Why would they? The perpetrator okay. cleaned up blood on doorknobs, sinks. There were also um, bloody footprint trail that went through the house, outside on the front porch and down the driveway. They, the crime scene investigators were actually amazed that the footprints in the driveway showed up because it had rained for two nights previous to finding the bodies. They also found the tip of a surgical glove left in the house, and they could find no other gloves like that in the house, so they knew that the killer had left it. Right. The weird thing is, 15 years earlier in the McDonald case, there was also a tip of a surgical glove mm-hmm. left at the scene. Mm-hmm. There was. So, of course, at this time, the police are thinking, oh, shit, not again. Yeah, but we is kinda, it really... Yeah. They but you know, with the Jeffrey McDonald trial, there was a lot of... There was, but they knew he back fucking did that. So they're thinking, holy shit, could this be another band of roving hippies just coming through to to murder people. No. so Hippies don't usually just roll through and murder people. They just need to smoke a doobie and And chill. chill. Yeah. They're playing their guitar, picturing. They're just feeling the vibrations of earth. Exactly. So the police go outside and talk to some of the witnesses, starting with Julie, the babysitter. Mm -hmm. She was very distraught, and she told them that the Eastburns had been getting weird prank phone calls. She also said that someone had called and she took the message about taking their dog, Dixie. She Mm -hmm. also, while crying, talked about how horrible this was, like the McDonald case. The police find out that Julie is actually a super fan of Jeffrey McDonald. Oh. Even corresponding with him in prison. What? She believed wholeheartedly that he was innocent. That motherfucker wasn't innocent. What's this girl talking to him in prison so this, for? I mean, you go to this. It's another family annihilation, basically. And you've got a babysitter that is, that is super fan with this you know uh, murderer from 15 years earlier that, that's a little there's too just so much weird shit there's a lot of weird shit that's yeah. a little too coincidental that's great yeah it's crazy even the cops were like oh she's mm. she's out there okay so we have a poor baby that's a 22-month-old that survived. Basically, and Gary Eastburn, who was in Alabama for training and not home, So those the, are the only two family members. Okay. His wife and other two daughters were murdered. So we have this poor three-year-old who was almost decapitated. Yes. Five-year-old slashed, stabbed. Yes. Mother slashed, stabbed. And raped. And raped. And a babysitter obsessed with Jeffrey McDonald. Let's yes. stop. Let's pause. <laughs> I'm gonna need a little outsiders. I feel like yeah, I feel like to cleanse my palate of that horrible shit. So those of you who are drinking along, now is the time to get your shit ready. Grab your glass, top her off.
1: We like to say cheers.
0: Of course we do. Cheers, bitches. Mm. It's still hot. Oh, it's hot. It may even get a little hotter. You know, it's not cinnamon. The more I drink, it's definitely not cinnamon. It has to be that ginseng. Or ginger, yeah. <sighs> or ginger. It's, it's definitely... Whew. Yeah. Mm. Mm. All right. So. If this is an aphrodisiac, when my when I get home, my husband... <laughs> I just hope he knows. And it's a cold, (laughs) rainy day here in North Carolina. It's raining. (laughs) Ain't nothing else to do tonight. (laughs) So, anyhow, back to the case. (laughs) They did have a witness come forward. His name was Patrick Cone. He said that he was walking home from his girlfriend's house around 3.30 a.m. and he had to walk right past the Eastburn home. He saw a white Chevette parked on the road he then saw a big white guy around six foot four blonde hair knit cap and a black members only jacket mm-hmm. bitch come Straight walking out the down 80s. the driveway. <laughs> yeah that's so eighty. okay wait a minute what did the what the husband look like was he big with blonde and he hair? was not no 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 oh. no no Gary and Eastburn is accounted for he is not the killer here oh Yes. I, look, I'm so totally straight. He was in Alabama. To, he is totally accountable. for. But I thought for, he did it, cleaned it up, and left. No, so he's not. Him. He was okay. in training. So yeah. why is this kid leaving his girlfriend's house at 3:30 in the morning? Bitch, do you not remember being a teenager? Because they didn't some, some just, ginger and some aphrodisiacs. Ginseng, <laughs> ginseng, some aphrodisiacs too. They might have had more than that. They did. Because it sounds like Patrick Cohn had had quite a few run-ins with the popo. Oh, so. You know. Oh well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he has he has some history there. Just nothing the that damn really thing. correlates with the case or anything. Right. But just but you just, know. You know. So for him wandering around at three thirty a.m. That's kind of normal. Car- yeah. To, uh, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm sorry. I blame the husband. Yeah. For- it, it definitely was not Gary. Damn. damn. Okay. Definitely Pro was not. C. him. <laughs> so he's seen this. You know, big, big blonde, blonde guy with right? that black members only jacket <laughs> coming down the driveway. <laughs> And Cone stated that the man said something like, you're getting an early start this morning. And, and he's thinking, no, I'm getting a late yeah. finish. <laughs> like, my day ain't even over with yet. I just finished up, sir. I'm on my way home. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, And then he just watched this big blonde guy drive off in his white Chevette. Okay. A white Chevette. You know, I love them shit beds. <laughs> you yeah, know, I do. Go ahead. This is a shit (laughs) vet. So Gary Eastburn was notified down in Alabama where he was training to take his new position as a liaison with the Royal Air Force in the UK. And he had been dreaming about this position for a while. So he got the call. They said, you need to come home because his family was dead, Mm -hmm. but his youngest daughter was still alive. Gary, I apologize that I immediately blamed you. He, Gary is a good man. And you had to give up your dream to come home to your family. I'm sorry. So when he arrives back at Fort Bragg, he is questioned by the police. They asked for hair samples, which he provided. Anything they asked for, he gave hair them. Sim- his shit's going to be all over the house. That's his house. He lives is exactly. That's his exactly. wife and kids. I think come it's on. probably just a formality. True. But And this was... 80s so all True. they could do was blood typing yes they didn't have dna like right they have. so <clears throat> um he provided anything they asked for and when he got there he said after he had talked to the police and everything he said i just want to see Jana." so they take him to see Jana. she was hooked up to ivy fluid bags and the doctor told um gary that if she had been in that crib another two hours she would have died. She was probably completely dehydrated. dehydrated. Yes, yes. So the police asked Gary to walk through the house and see if there was anything missing. Mm -hmm. While there, Gary goes through the mail and finds the Mother's Day card he had mailed his wife that she never got to open Mm -hmm. because this was Mother's Day weekend. Mm -hmm. They told Gary that they think the attack happened around 9 p.m. Thursday night. Uh, May 12th was a Sunday when the bodies were actually found. So mm-hmm. they think this happened Thursday night because the children were dressed for bed, but Katie still had her jeans and blouse on and was folding clothes when the perpetrator came in. They explain that Katie had been raped and that mm-hmm. the rape began in the living room where they believe Katie was tied up and held at gunpoint. <gasps> Her blouse had been ripped off and her jeans were pulled off. Her bra and panties had been cut off. They believed Katie was chased into the bedroom where the perpetrator cornered her. Mm -hmm. She was trying to run, which makes perfect sense. As he looked around, he noticed that about $300 of Christmas money was missing from her panty drawer and that her bank card was missing as well. And about this time, the police had made a sketch of the man that Patrick Cohn had mm-hmm. seen at 3.30 a.m. This big, the tall, night of the murders. Blonde guy. Right? right. On the news, the police were asking for a white male that came to the Eastburns house on May 7th, 1985, in the early evening to pick up an English setter named Dixie, and who possibly owns a Spitz and is driving a white Chevette. That white Chevette. Fucking white Chevette. While this was on the news, Angela and Tim Henness were eating lunch. Angela immediately says, oh, my God, that's you. (laughs) What? Wait, what? You need to go to the police and get this shit straightened out. she She looked at him and she said, oh, my God, that's you. Yeah, I mean, he fit the description. They had got the English setter, Dixie and he that had a white, white chevette he has a white chevette holy fuck okay so she's like you need to go get this shit straightened out right well Henness was a parachute rigger and in, in the military and he called his boss to say he would be late coming back from lunch and then he called the sheriff's department and told him he was coming by yeah yeah i mean if if my shit's flashing on tv Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say, look, let me work this shit out. I didn't do this. (laughs) I got the dog, but I didn't do this. Well, when he gets to the sheriff's department, the detectives were struck by how he was a dead ringer for the composite sketch that Patrick Cone had given them. Big white guy around six foot four, blonde hair. Um, His wife, Angela, was with him and she was reportedly the first one to speak asking if her husband was a suspect. So Angela is on this. She's like they eating lunch, and I feel like Tim Hennis probably would have just ignored that whole news broadcast. But she was like, "Oh no, that's you!" Hold <laughs> and then, the fuck up, and then wants to immediately. And she goes know with him suspect. to the police department, and she's like, "Is my husband a suspect? What is going on?" So <clears throat> they separate them. And the detective said, no, he's not a suspect. They just need information from him because he may have been the last person to see her alive. Right. So they separate the couple, question Hennis. Hennis explains that he did go get the dog on May 7th to see if Dixie would get along with his dog. Mm -hmm. So he's saying that he went to go pick up the dog and he was going to let her know how they did together. And if it did all right, then he would keep Keep it. Right. So. um Then he said, you know, he left with Dixie, and that was the last time he seen Katie Mm -hmm. Eastburn. Mm -hmm. Now, the detectives, of course, want to know his whereabouts, May 9th through the 12th. And Hennis claims that he had taken his wife 90 minutes away to her mother's house to stay the weekend for Mother's Day because he had to report for duty, and they weren't going to be able to see each other for the holiday anyway. Okay. So the detective kind of makes a mental note that you know, he is alone during the time that, that these murders happened. happened. Yeah. Right. And they're trying to stall because they needed the SBI fingerprint expert to drive 65 miles from Raleigh to get there and examine the prints. So they used a so they're just, kind of just expert yes. back then. It was okay. 85. Okay. So Hennis agreed to give hair, saliva, and blood samples. And what about semen? If he raped her, there's semen somewhere. Well, there was a rape kit taken from Katie Eastburn. Yeah. But at this point, they didn't have a way to Did test them, that oh, semen. Damn, they I can keep only forgetting do right. blood typing. Hi, okay. So fucking So semen. he had no problem saying, Yeah, I'll give you my hair, saliva, and, you know, all that. Plus somebody had spent some time cleaning up in there mm-hmm. too. So mm-hmm. he wasn't concerned about that. Um, They also bring up that Patrick Cone, the um, witness, ID'd him out of a picture lineup. Right. So, and he's still saying it's not me. Of course. All I did was get the dog. Yeah. Right. Now, around 1 a.m. the next morning. Yeah, but why would he be there at 3.30 in the fucking morning if he was getting a dog? Right. He was saying that Patrick Cone didn't see him. Then... All he did did was pick that dog up on the 7th, and that's it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm feeling a motherfucking lie coming on no, right he's, about now. He is, he's a motherfucking lie. Oh, I knew it. Okay. So, <laughs> I might've been wrong about the husband, but I feel like I'm <laughs> on about this him. You know, I'd only bring him up for a reason. Yes. So around 1am the next morning, the sheriff's deputies and SBI agents pound on the door of Tim and Angela Hennis. They take Tim into custody. And when they get him back to the station, He's just annoyed by the cameras that were there because this this was new. This was big news. Mm -hmm. He also come off as very pompous and arrogant, and he even remarked, it looks like I'm going to get to wear one of those little orange jumpsuits. So he felt very sure of himself that he he was was a cocky motherfucker. He was very cocky. And, you know, he correctly predicts that he does get to wear one of those fucking orange (laughs) jumpsuits. So um, his father, Bob Hennis, is a manager at IBM and flew in to help his son. Mm -hmm. And he got him a lawyer named Jerry Beaver. Beaver. The Beave. The (laughs) Beave. And told his son not to worry. He never believed his son was capable of doing anything like this. Right. So. This conky, little, pompous, arrogant asshole. He probably got it from his father.
1: Yeah, it, it does seem the like, same
0: way. I mean, just from what I read, the book Innocent Victims has a lot of detail about the back and forth between Jerry Beaver, the Lawyer, defense attorney, mm-hmm. and the DA, uh, William Van Story, so they hated each other. And they actually went to the same law school and come to Cumberland County around the same time. And by the time that the Hennis case come up, both sides pretty well hated each other. Mm -hmm. Beaver was reviled, they said, because his hair was a little too long and his suits were a little too flashy. And, quote, he wears a lot of loud ass ties. (laughs) Well, I think. That's what the 80s was all about. Right. I think he was Long Miami hair. Bison exactly. shit. Long hair, flashy suit. He probably had a little chest hair. Poking out. Chains. You know he had that shirt and button. You he was buttons. a little bit. Yes. <laughs> he was tanned and shit. The, the DA's office referred to Beaver as a hot dog. A hot I bet he got, dog. I bet he got, um, he went to the tanning bed back then, Absolutely. you know. Absolutely. He had some loud-ass suits and a hot dog. Did he have relish? <laughs> I bet he did. I bet he did. After news of Tim Hennessy's arrest, a neighbor called in and told the sheriff's department that the day before the bodies were found that Tim Hennis dragged a 55-gallon barrel out to the backyard and was burning stuff on and off all day long. Mm, he trying to burn some evidence. Mm. Another neighbor confirmed um, what this neighbor had called in and mm-hmm. said. They said that Tim would squirt a lot of lighter fluid into the barrel and make the flames really ramp up, and then he would stir it, with a stick and then squirt more lighter fluid in and make you know Just make the flame burn in the fuck yeah, out of was. it. he was he was gonna get every motherfucking yeah. thing. <clears throat> um, with this information, the DA decided to offer Tim Hennes a plea deal of two charges of second degree murder with two consecutive life sentences. That that fucking amazes me. That shows you three murders. They were gonna offer him two. With second-degree murder and consecutive life sentences. But Tim Hennis is like, he turns that down, stating emphatically that he was innocent and wanted to go to trial. Well, because, like, in the 80s, you don't have DNA. Right. You don't have all this so shit like, that we do So he's like, you know, now. bring me to trial. Right. You have to have evidence and see we're gonna we're gonna talk about these trials coming up because this man has three trials over 20 years 20 years it's wild so anyhow they offer him this plea deal and immediately he's like fuck that i didn't do it let's go to court yeah because he's like show me the proof he's like i got beaver over here we're gonna (laughs) hot dog it all the way on in the court we're gonna get the beef to handle this shit so he has relish he does During all this legal back and forth, the police had uncovered the black members only jacket (gasps) that he had on, had figured out what they think the motive is because this is all over the news. They had another witness come forward in the hopes of helping Tim Hennis. Uh His ex-girlfriend, Nancy Macer, came forward and told police that he couldn't have done this because he had stopped by her house the night of the murders. She said he stopped by around 9 p.m. and left around 930. And she told the police they dated for a few months a while back, but it didn't work out. So they just stayed friends. And it wasn't unusual for him to just pop in. Yeah, but if he left at 9.30, he could have done exactly. anything it, after it that. Really did, it did not alibi him, but she was hoping if she told Spoke him that up. this would... And that could have... Because she couldn't see him doing this. Right, and that's her truth. She just wanted to give her truth, and right from 9.30 to 3.30, a lot of shit can happen. Exactly, and a lot of shit did, apparently. Obviously. So, um Nancy said that when he would stop by, they would just kind of talk about the state of their marriages. Nancy's husband had been in Germany since... The week after they had gotten married. And Tim complained about Angela being dull. So wait a minute. You have some exes getting together to complain about their currents? Or talk about their, yeah. Yeah, that's not okay. But anyway. Yeah. Okay. There's probably some hopes of some other shit going on Well, Nancy says they do not sleep together. They're just friends. And and I'm sure. You know. But normally that leads somewhere else. Yes. I would say most of the time it would. So, she told the police he wasn't there long. He never made a pass at her. And, of course, the police wanted to know more on their past relationship. She said he wasn't abusive, but he was really bad at handling money. She said that he has, since they had broke up, randomly stopped by to talk. But detectives knew that if he left at 9.30, this did not alibi him at all, and he still would have had plenty of time to rape and murder and kill the Eastburns. They asked Nancy about his sexual habits, and she said that he was a southern gentleman and that he liked to cuddle. The police then asked Nancy if Tim had a black members-only jacket, and she said she thought so, but that Tim was very hot-natured and he hardly ever wore a coat. Unless he was trying to cover some shit up. Well, my thing is, everybody was focused on this black members-only jacket, didn't everybody in the 80s have a fucking members-only jacket? <laughs> I know. I know. But he could have very easily took it off and not murdered people in the jacket, but still had the jacket. So, true. I mean, you know. True. If he it's, was hot-natured, I doubt he's going to go, you know, kill three people, rape with somebody with a jacket with on. The jacket on. yeah. if he was burning all that shit, seems like he would have burned the jacket as well. Oh, no, no, well. no, no, girl. No, no, no. He um, took that black members-only jacket, to the dry cleaners (laughs) it It meant that much on may 10th they think the murders happened on may 9th he takes that 10th may 10th that black members only jacket to the dry cleaners uh uh-huh and the lady at the dry cleaners said that it was wadded up when she got it and it had hair all over it but there was not any blood stains on it okay so it's just weird. I mean, and then I'm thinking, do you dry clean a members only jacket? Right. The day after murders? I don't. Well, just in general, do you dry clean it, a members only jacket? True. I don't ever recall my parents or dropping the members, members only jackets, the jackets off at the dry yeah. clean. <laughs> but anyhow. So, um. The DA Van Story started digging into Tim Hennessy's finances because Nancy had said he's terrible with money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's seen that Nancy was right. Tim was really bad with money. He had a rap sheet with four convictions for writing bad checks in Minnesota, and one in Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. He had a balance of negative three dollars and eighteen cent in his account. And was living paycheck to paycheck. Right. And they also found that he was late on paying his $300 rent. And if you'll remember, there were $300 of Christmas money stolen out of Katie Eastburn's panty yes. drawer. So um, they really couldn't find anything, you know, other than the bad check charge mm-hmm. in Fayetteville. He did get kicked out of helicopter flight school for lying to the captain. But I couldn't find out what he was lying about. Right. They just said he got dismissed from school from lying. But back in Rochester, Minnesota, they found a lady that had seen his picture on the news because this made national news. Mm -hmm. And she called in the Rochester rape crisis line and said when she was 11 years old, that she was riding her bike home from school and that there were two boys that were either in the 8th or ninth grade that pulled her off her bike and raped her. And she says it was Tim Hennis that did that. Oh, my God. Now, nothing ever really came of this. She did file a report. And I couldn't tell if she if the report was filed when she was 11 or when she seen this on the news. Right. Probably when she saw this on the news. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah. Um. But nothing was ever done about this. And, of course, Tim Hennis denies any involvement. And juvenile arrest records are sealed, so there wasn't anything that they could use in court. So Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of backfighting between Beaver and Van Story who uh, who disliked each other immensely. Um, Hold on. Here we go. There was a lot of backfighting between Beaver and Van Story, who, like I said, hated each other. The DA, Van Story, released the house back to Gary Eastburn without letting Beaver and his team get in there first. So there was all kinds of little shit like that that was mm-hmm. happening back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, they really fought at every turn in this case. The defense interviewed all his co-workers in the Army, and they got nothing but good reviews about Tim Henness. The defense, the defense started digging into the rest of the evidence they had on Tim Hennis. There was no blood on the black members only jacket. Um, the blood testing they did have at the crime scene come up inconclusive because with the luminol testing, there was so much of Katie and the girl's blood. It it just kind of overshadows of anything, right. any other. And he spent so much time cleaning. Right. Somebody did. Right. Right. <clears throat> They had no way of doing like an in-depth DNA analysis back in the 80s. So they couldn't link any of the hairs found at the house to Tim Hennis. And remember the footprints I said that they had found? Well, those were three sizes smaller than Tim's foot. Oh. But still the prosecution went forward with the case. Okay. Now, with the footprints, they were saying that, you know, if you're walking in your socks with blood that how your foot is splayed can give off different sizes with the socks. And if it's drenched in blood, but three sizes smaller does sound fishy. They said this was like a sock print with blood. Yeah. Yeah. So there was one witness that had used her bank card a few days after the murders. And the card that was used right before hers was Katie Eastburn's card. She said Tim Henness was the one that was at the ATM right before her. Mm. But there were no cameras there then. Right. And at the time, the eyewitnesses count. Well, any eyewitness accounts are known to be pretty unreliable. So. But it has to mean something if she could point him out. Right. But he was also all over the news at the time. True. So I, I don't pay much attention. If I were sitting at the ATM. I don't try to, to pay a whole lot. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, in um, June of 1986, just a, a little over a year after the Eastburns were murdered, Tim Hennis went on trial. The prosecution showed 90 minutes of gruesome crime scene photos to the jury. 90 minutes of 90 photos? 90 whole minutes. Damn. And the two eyewitness accounts from Patrick Cohn and the lady at the ATM um, were also presented. Even though the prosecution's tactics were questionable, the the jury deliberated for 10 hours and found Tim Hennis guilty of rape and murder of Mm -hmm. Katie Eastburn and her two daughters. Wow. On July 8th, he was sentenced to death. Hennis was transferred to the Central Prison in Raleigh, and um, while he was in the central prison, he received a letter and the letter said, dear Mr. Hennis, I did the crime. I murdered the Eastburns. Sorry, you're doing the time. I'll be safely out of North Carolina when you read this. Thanks, Mr. X. Son of a bitch. I know. Crazy, right? So think about it. If you were in the 80, I mean, the, if you were at the 85 case here. You can't prove that he has any blood or right, hair link. Right. Right. So how did they? There's footprints that are too that are too, too small. small. So are they just going off the eyewitness testimony? Yes. Okay. Yes. Basically, yeah. So the sheriff's department also, and then you know he receives this letter. So that's enough mm-hmm. to create like eh, I don't know. Some did he really do this? Yeah. The sheriff's department also received a letter. Um, like this from Mr. X but they deemed it a hoax and nothing was ever really done with these letters and I guess can, where was it postmarked from they didn't say and it may not have had a return address or anything like that, and they could have drove still, to a different town and mailed it. You know, true. But but still, they'd give them. A, you know, they a point they of immediately. Origin. And you know what? He could have had somebody do that. I for mean, Angela might have been like, "Hey, mm-hmm. I, I'll drop you, this in the mail." But when you said three steps smaller, the wife was the first person I thought about. Yeah, she was never brought up in this ever. Okay. So and she and Katie was raped. There was semen in her. So. Well, that doesn't mean that he didn't that, true, he wasn't that she there. Didn't, wasn't there with right. Yeah. Now, in October of nineteen eighty eight, the North Carolina Supreme Court ruled that Henness had received an unfair trial and he was granted a new one. Why? The court ruled the Supreme Court ruled that photographic presentation should be limited to not cause prejudice amongst jurors. And they specifically cited the Hennes case for the reason for this ruling. Because so, it was 90 minutes worth of pictures. 90 minutes of gory pictures. And they're saying that's enough to make any jury. If you give me a little bit and you're showing me an hour and a half of children brutally murdered. Right. Decapitated. Almost. You're going to go in there and be right. like, fuck yeah, where do I sign? Yes so it makes sense that is why he was granted another trial okay Patrick Cone was put on the stand uh, first in the second trial the defense had planned to discredit the witness inaccurate account of the night he saw the tall blonde man in the white Chevette They brought in a meteorologist and a helicopter pilot who told the jury that the night was very overcast and dark and that Patrick would have found it difficult to see the man properly. You can't tell me what I'm going to see difficult right in front of my face. I thought that was kind of reaching. That's ridiculous. But I mean, reaching. Yeah, yeah. Patrick had been in trouble with the law, you know, between the two trials, even telling an officer that he was too valuable to lock up because he was a witness in the Henness trial. (laughs) And in the end, there was enough doubt on patrick that they patrick, kind of disbelieved his you, account right. fuck you patrick you right. you were great to begin with but we're being you, a fuck up right. patrick when you do stupid shit yeah so they're like he's a complete tool bag let's exactly. just you know fuck what. him <laughs> Okay, okay, so that was an equipment failure that right was. there, guys. What you heard was live. <laughs> it was some real live Literally, shit. my microphone jumped off of the table and onto the floor. This is why it takes us a while <laughs> to get the video <laughs> going. <laughs> we can't even keep the mic on the table. <laughs> We're working on it. Bear with us. We are working on it. I think that we should probably just take a shot of this I think so, too. Because... Shit can only get better if our microphones are leaping from the table <laughs> onto the floor. Moonshine is just going to make things a little bit it better. It always does. Let's get some of this ginger and ginseng mm. going. Cheers, bitches. Mmm. Oh, fuck. Fuck. <laughs> fuck. That's hot. It seems like it's getting a little hotter. Mmm. That one was really hot. I need to chase her on that one. Mm. So <clears throat> much. All right. All right. Well, let's find out about this trial. So, uh, the defense also brought in the woman from the ATM machine. Mm-hmm. By the time the police had found her, Tim Henness had been on television and in the newspaper. She could have easily picked his face from seeing these reports. The defense also made the in the jury sit in silence for three and a half minutes to highlight the amount of time between the man's transaction and the ATM, like when she used the ATM. Well, if she was sitting there looking at him for three and a half minutes, that's a long fucking time. Well, apparently they're saying when Katie Eastburn's card was used, there was three and a half minutes before the next card was used. So, Beaver had... The jury see how long three and a half minutes okay, really is. I, yeah. I thought she was standing there waiting behind him for the. Oh. That's kind of what it made it sound like. Hold on, hold on. Oh, oh, okay. Chaser. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Hennes's lawyers also stressed that the woman had um, told investigators initially, "I don't remember anything." Before ensuring that her story was in place before the first trial. You can't be saying, I don't remember anything. And then say, yep, that was him. Exactly. So then she was very easy to discredit, just like Patrick Cone was. Gotcha. The evidence found at the Eastburns' home was also brought up. Who did the hair, blood, and footprints belong to? Because they certainly weren't Tim's. The burn barrel remains from Tim's home was also collected and testing, and nothing of significance was found in the burn barrel either. Well, that's because he put enough lighter fluid on it right. to melt every bit of it. Exactly. What are you going to find, ashes? So, I fi- I thought they were probably trying to find some remnants of something that he burned to show. Maybe he was burning clothes or something. Right. But there was nothing, nothing found. The defense poked, um, spoke to the dry cleaner And they told the lawyers that they did not use any special blood cleaning chemicals on that black members only jacket. And to prove their point, the defense poured blood on another black members only jacket, cleaned it with the chemicals that are supposed to remove blood from fabric and even with the right chemicals, a luminol tests showed remnants of blood on the prop jacket. Right. When Tim's jacket was given the same treatment, the luminol test didn't show any signs of blood at all. Okay. Now we have a problem. Yes, yeah, questionable, <laughs> right? Yes, it is. It is very questionable. <clears throat> but again, I don't know that the. To me, that that members only jacket, because it doesn't have blood on it, doesn't mean anything. It, you're you're right. He's hot you're natured. Right. Why would he do that to commit three brutal murders? Right. I figure you get worked up when you're stabbing somebody 37 times. I you know. hear it's a lot of work. I've never done it, but I've right. watched a lot of documentaries, and it's a lot of work. They, don't, they stress how hard it is yeah. to actually do yeah. that. So I, I could see him not wearing the members-only jacket yeah. at all. So the final blow from the defense was a new witness who came um, forward and said... That John Rappall lived a few streets away from the Eastburns home and liked to walk around at night when he couldn't sleep. He was doing so on the night of the Eastburn murders wearing a members only jacket and a knitted cap. And this guy, he was a teenager, um, but he was six foot four. And blonde, blonde hair. Oh, no. Yeah. He looked like when they brought him in, they they were shocked. He was kind of like the spitting image
1: of, of Tim Hennis. Okay. So mm. it's like, how do
0: you get two people that look that much alike in the same within, you know, a block or two of each? Right. You know, it's crazy. Wow. <clears throat> so two days later, the jury came back with a not guilty verdict for the three first degree murders and the rape. And I understand that. I mean, that puts a lot of doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tim Hennis left the court with his daughter, who was now four years old, and his wife, and he was a free man. Wow. Tim rejoined the army, receiving back pay for the years he'd spent in prison. And in 1990, he was sent to Saudi Arabia for Operation Desert Shield. He returned home after a stint in Somalia where he received medals for his duty and service. Mm -hmm. In 2004, Tim retired as Master Sergeant and settled in a job at a waste facility plant in Washington. So... We're two at thousand four now, and this guy has never. He's been done, free. He's, he's never been. done anything else wrong. He went back into the military, had a stellar career in the military. It was overseas. Back lived and his forth. life. Has children. Okay. Um. <clears throat> damn. Now I gotta fucking apologize to Tim too. Who did this? We're gonna see, girl. You you gonna find damn. out soon enough. So, um, I said he was working at a waste facility plant in yes. Washington. Yes. The family had moved there years earlier, and Tim was now filling his time as the leader of his son's um, scout group, like a boy scout group. Right. So Gary Eastburn Mm -hmm. had relocated with his surviving daughter, Jana, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to a U.S. Air Force base north of London in 1988, taking up that liaison role with the Royal Air Force. It just took a few more years to get there. Yeah. Gary subsequently met and married an English nurse in 1991 who became Jana's stepmother. Mm -hmm. And after retiring from the U.S. Air Force, he worked overseas for several years before returning to the States and settling down in Washington State. Did he bring his wife with him? Yes. She came with him? Yes. And Jana. Okay. And Jana. In 2006, Gary Eastburn received a call from Detective Biddle. Technology had finally caught up, and the rape kit used on Katie had been found at the Cumberland County Sheriff's Department. It was sent to the crime lab, and the DNA swabs from Katie were tested. Oh, thank God. The semen found in Katie's body was Was a match to Tim Tim (gasps) Henneth. Are you fucking (laughs) serious? Yes. Yes. Well, fuck you, Tim. I'm not apologizing to you. Fuck you, Tim. So, now, the problem that the prosecution was going to be facing was double jeopardy. Yeah, you can't be tried twice for For the the same same crime. crime. Yes, yes. So, Tim had already been tried for the murder of Katie, Aaron, and Kara, Mm -hmm. and couldn't be taken to court again. However, Tim Henness was military, Mm -hmm. so we have a loophole. Okay, good. Uh, The Army called Tim back to active duty. When, when the commander got this information that the DNA matched, yeah, he was semen. like, mm-hmm. "We will get his ass." Okay, like it, it, he was on it. Because so, he spent the rest of his life out of prison doing whatever, living, he his, best to, life, living yeah. his best life, with his children too. Yeah. We can't forget that he fucking decapitated a three year old little girl, right, and a five year old little yes, girl, and then no, raped and no. killed their mother. Absolutely, okay. yeah. So, the Army called Tim back to active duty. Mm-hmm. And Come he, on back, bitch. As soon as he signed in papers that he was back in active duty, he was charged with three murders of the Eastburns. The three murders of the Eastburns. Uh-huh. And on the 17th of March, 2010, the trial for Tim Hennes began in the Fort Bragg uh, Courthouse. Complete so, this is like a, a military trial. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. That's gotcha. where the loophole is. Gotcha. Otherwise, if he had not been military, he He would be just free. Yeah. There's nothing they could have done. So what does he have to say for himself? He still denies it. After the fucking DNA matches, he still. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what he said. Now in his 50s, Tim sat through the trial as he had done twice before. Mm Mm-hmm. The defense pulled out all the same evidence as the second trial, the shoe prints, the blood, the fingerprints, the hair, the luminol test done at the crime scene um, that had showed an extensive cleanup that was done after the murder. But the one piece of evidence that Tim couldn't get rid of was his fucking semen. Girl, that semen is, yes, it's mm. a tell-all, tell-all. Leave that semen, motherfucker, <laughs> y'all, leave it. We're going to burn it every And, you time. know, in 85, he had no concept that this would ever be every, an issue. Right, right. Like this far down the road. Well, guess what, Tim? Guess what, Tim? Fucking what? Fucking semen. So instead of the defense's argument, uh, instead of the defense's argument was to introduce the idea of extramarital affairs, stating that a young wife whose husband has been gone for a long time could have impulsively decided just to sleep with Tim Hennis. So he, Tim Hennis was trying to say that he fucked her, but he didn't. It was kill consensual. Her. And he, so he, the first two trials, he adamantly denied it. that he had any sexual contact with katie and now he's saying well yeah we did we did it was consensual though and so as soon as that fucking story starts to unravel right guilty and changing it up Mm -hmm. yeah guilty fuck that fry motherfucker fry and his defense is sitting there um Saying that, you know, basically a young wife who's left at home is just going to go no, impulsively fuck try somebody. Don't to turn it around on the the poor little wife who's left at home. Right. Don't fucking make this about her. No, that's and that's exactly what they were doing. But <laughs> the jury was made up of officers who were often away from home for long periods of time. So the argument rubbed the officers and the jury the wrong way. Absolutely. That rubs me the fucking wrong way. Don't try to fucking blame her. Yeah, and that's exactly what, yeah. And Tim Hennis had already vehemently. That would not even. Vehemently. Vehemently. Yes. Well, I think that's what I said. Vehemently. <laughs> okay. I knew what you meant. Vehemently vehemently denies, denies an affair with Kate. Deny, motherfucker, deny. You a you Your denial. It don't matter. Your semen was ab- there. Exactly. Your fucking swimmers were up Anywhere in there. Anywhere that you leave your semen means you fucking been there. Yes. <laughs> Period. That's all that's how it got your there. Your semen cannot be there unless you were there. Um so, now he's trying to say that, yeah, I came and got the dog, and because her man was gone, we slept together. Lie. No. Yeah. Lie. You don't come get a dog, and I'm going to fuck you real quick while right. my kids play it. No. Well, on the 3rd of April, 2010, the jury took three hours to decide their verdict and came back to court, and Tim Henness was once again found guilty. It wouldn't take me three hours. It'd take me three minutes. I'm Girl, they might have me- ate lunch. Hands. Just let him just, just shoot the him shit. Had a, a drink and then be like, "We already did this. Let's get a free lunch." I out mean, of it. guilty one, not guilty two. But semen's a match, bitch. You are guilty? Yes. So Done. he was found guilty. Thank God. And Tim Hennis was eventually um, sentenced to a dishonorable discharge from the army, and he was sentenced to death. Okay. So. Dishonorable discharge. He's sentenced to to death. death. He was transferred to Fort Leavenworth in Kansas, and he is still there today. Fort Leavenworth in Kansas. Yes. Fort Leavenworth in Kansas. Kim, if you're listening, I hope you're fucking enjoying that prison dick. (laughs) (laughs) Or not, but still getting it. Just like you gave it to Katie. Exactly. And that poor babe, Those poor babies. Exactly. Exactly. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Well, he is the only person who has been tried three Three times times for the same fucking thing. Yes. Yes. He is unlikely to be put to death. Due to presidential approval for military executions, which hasn't happened since the 1960s. I don't care if he's in the military. If you killed two little babies and a woman for no reason, fuck you. You can die. It doesn't matter if you were in the military. You can die. Well, with military executions, um, apparently you have to have a presidential... um, Even if they did something this heinous? Yes. To be put to death, the president has to... Do it for military prisoners. Well, I know a few presidents. He gotta he gotta throw the gavel. He gotta hit the button. I know a few that would say flip. Look, it'd be that easy button. (laughs) I would do it while I was eating lunch. You'd be like, Oh, it's his day. Yes. Yep. Hit the button. Matter of fact, I think I'm gonna come down and watch that (laughs) (laughs) one. in February of twenty twenty, the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces rejected his appeal. And when interviewed by the Seattle Times in 2010, Gary Eastburn said, I am perfectly happy if he spends the rest of his life in jail. However, if they did execute him, it is no more than he deserved. Absolutely. Gary, I apologize again. My initial thought was definitely you. Well, I think that's most people, though. I mean, that's generally the first suspect. Tim Henness, fuck you. Yeah. I do hope Tim Henness is getting some sandpaper dong up in the fucking prison. His big six foot four ass, I hope is getting bent over by somebody. Oh, it don't matter. There's somebody bigger and badder than him in prison. I hope there's a a big dude holding his ass down, and then some little five foot dude just jumping up (laughs) to ram up in it. You know, I hope there's several dudes holding him down. They're (laughs) taking turns. Gang bang time. So on that, for these poor women. Yes. let well, Let's take well, a shot two for girls, the girls, absolutely. One woman. God bless you, girls, at home getting ready for this move, for this change, and some dude that shows up to get a fucking dog. And you're just trying to be a good fur mom right. because you know that your elderly dog some will not that handle shows up this up to get well. A dog decides to come back and annihilate your family and yes. fucking rape you and fuck you, Tim Henness. Fuck you, so Tim so this Hennis. is for the Cara, Aaron, Aaron, Jana, Jana, and Katie, and Katie. Cheers, bitches. Cheers. Mmm, it's still hot as fuck. It really is. Like I felt it was hot right off the bat that time. Oh my god! Like I'm breathing fire, like a dragon. Well, that was that was bad. That was that's horrible. horrible with the babies i don't think that was your worst one so no um the one i've got coming up next. oh fuck oh i just had to as far as gruesome to, factor this right. one i think was just so horrible because you have these children who yes, were just it,
1: completely anytime innocent. that happens
0: yeah completely fucking innocent okay this is my question to tim if you're listening what the fuck did you have to do that to those girls for You could have raped her and left if that's how evil you are. Right? Like you don't have to go that far. And it makes me wonder what happened because most of the time he did pay his rent within a couple of days after this murder. But but what I'm saying is. If so he have, stole from her too. Like he, it wasn't that he just killed them too. Like he, he robbed, robbed them, them as well. Yeah. But when you have somebody that annihilates a whole family, what are the odds of them doing that one time? I feel like he has other victims. Well, something. You pushed know, I don't know rape. if he thought maybe Katie wouldn't, maybe Katie fought him more than he expected. So the girls woke up but and, and, could be heard. his only rape. He's going to rape well, that one 11 time year old. That, that girl people? said she was raped by him at 11 years old. True. So I'm thinking there's more victims. That's what I'm so, saying. There's more out there. And terrible with money. And maybe this time it was way over the top for him. And after he had done that, he was like, okay. It's too far gone. It was too far. That was too much. Too much. So now I'm going to do my best yeah, to. I'm going to say that's fucking too much when you harm fuck people Fuck yeah, too that much. Manner. You killed children. Wow. Crazy. Well, next week, my story is actually going to be three stories. You know, Misty likes to bring us deep and dark. And it's <laughs> up to me to bring a little light back to our shows. <laughs> my next one's going to be super gruesome. So so next week, I'm going to give we'll you all... lighten up with yours yes. next week. I'm going to give you all three little short episodes that... You know, it's just fucked up information that we love. <laughs> so, and I think you guys will enjoy it as well. Because, you know, you secretly love that fucked up information too. You do. You and do. that is why you're listening. And that's why we fucking appreciate and you. And we're, we're going to put some comedy on because it's some crazy shit I'm going to tell y'all about. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a little prison vengeance. Oh, we like prison vengeance. But you know I love me some <laughs> <We> prison vengeance. <laughs> well, I'm excited about it. So let's there's go There's a little ch- victim vengeance, and I love me some victim vengeance. <laughs> we love that, too. Yes, yeah, we do. We're going to lighten it up a little bit next week. I mean, it's still, I mean, true crime. So it's obviously dark stories. However, this is that shade of gray. There's some little vengeance that just shines a little light Just puts a little silver lining on that black box. And we're going to cheers to that vengeance. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to cheers right now. We are. We're going to cheers for appreciating all our listeners. Thank you so much. Those of you drinking along, going to pour you another one right now. And now that you know, we really want to hear from you. We want stories that you guys want to hear about. Email us. Contact yeah. us. Let us know. We are on what? Instagram. TikTok. Facebook. Facebook got a Gmail. Murder moonshine at gmail.com. Like communicate with us. We want to hear from y'all. All so, right. This is for y'all. Cheers, bitches. Mm. Mm. I'm done. That's it. Oh. oh, God. Time for hydration. I'm done. That's it. That's yeah well we yeah. hope that you keep listening be good stay out of trouble or don't get caught bye bitches we hope you keep listening and find us on facebook instagram tiktok at murder and moonshine we would love to hear from you you can send us an email at murder moonshine at gmail.com